Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to share with you something that is very close to my heart today. Well, it's always been close to my heart. And it's one of the foundational values of the kingdom of God. What I want to share is intimacy with God. I want to talk about the importance of our relationship, of our fellowship with God the Father, through Jesus Christ the Son, in the person of the Holy Spirit. This is, I believe, the distinguished mark of every born-again believer who has experienced the grace of God in his life. Intimacy and fellowship with God through Jesus his Son, as I have mentioned, is one of the foundational principles or values in the kingdom of God. John the Apostle says the following concerning this very fellowship that we're talking about. Turn with me to your own Bibles, please, and let's read together from 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. And we, I'm going to be reading it from the Amplified Translation because it brings out uh, a clearer understanding of what John is speaking about here. The first epistle of John, chapter 1 and verse 3, reading from the Amplified Translation. This is what John the Apostle says. What we have seen and ourselves heard, we are also telling you, so that you too may realize and enjoy as partners and partakers with us. And this fellowship, that we have, which is a distinguishing mark of Christians, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ the Messiah. God's highest purpose and greatest desire for His church is to be intimately connected with her in a loving relationship. The purpose of creation was relationship. The purpose of redemption was again to bring creation back to fellowship and intimacy with the Creator. And God's desire has always been to dwell with His people and to walk with us in an unbroken communion and fellowship with Him in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the following concerning this intimacy, this indwelling presence of God within us that we're talking about. In John chapter 14 and verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, that God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see, the desire of the Lord has always been the same. His desire has never changed. It is to be intimately connected with each and every one of us in a loving relationship. When this fellowship that we're speaking about is disrupted or broken through disobedience, it grieves the heart of God and it brings untold suffering to His people. You see, man was created to function only in God's presence and in fellowship with Him. And outside of God's presence, we become very destructive and evil. We cannot function outside of God's presence the way God designed us or wired us to live and function. God is primarily relational, folks, and anything we do must be birthed out of a loving relationship with Him if it is to be blessed and if it is to be accepted by Him. Whether we worship, whether we minister to the Lord, whether we serve Him in prayer or any other activity that is done in His name, it must have the origin and foundation in intimacy with the Lord. Otherwise, it is not accepted by God. All of the above, what I'm speaking about, whether it's worship, whether it's service, whether it's ministry of some kind, whether it's prayer, or any good work that we do in His name, should be a spontaneous and a natural response of a love relationship that we share with the Lord. Now, how is this fellowship possible? Well, John explains it. Intimacy with God and fellowship with His Son is only possible when a believer walks in the light he has received from the Word of God. When there is nothing standing between him and his Creator. John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through to 7, This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So we see here that fellowship with God is only possible when a believer, when you and I, walk in the light we have already received from the Word of God. Now, if a believer chooses to walk in darkness or disobedience, fellowship then is broken because darkness has nothing in common with light. Where darkness dwells, there is no light. And where the light dwells, there is no darkness at all. Now, 
according to the word of God, every believer, whether you are born again for many years, whether you have just been born again a week or two weeks ago, has received a measure of light and a measure of truth from God himself through the Holy Spirit and his word. And by the grace of God empowering us, we are expected to walk in the light that we have received or in the truth that we know and we have received. That light, as we walk in it, continues to grow and multiply. If, however, one is afraid to walk in the light or in the revelation he has received from God, or chooses to disobey or rebel against it, then the light which is in them becomes darkness. Whenever the truth is rejected, deception and darkness steps in and begins to enter the mind of the believer. And at that stage, fellowship is interrupted and sometimes that fellowship is broken. However, According to John, if confession is made, sin is forgiven and removed, and then fellowship is restored. That's what 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says. If we confess our sins, he's talking to believers here, born-again Christians, not, not to the world, not to the sinner. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only is he able to forgive, but he's also able to cleanse us from all that is not right, from all unrighteousness. But the condition is if we acknowledge and confess our sins. Now the reason believers, I believe in the body of Christ, are not in fellowship with God is because they choose to walk in disobedience to the truth they received or they have unconfessed and unrepented sin in their lives. Beloved of the Lord, it is vitally important that we walk in the light that we have received, that we walk in the truth we have received and continue to do so if we are to enjoy the presence of the Lord and to enjoy rich fellowship and intimacy with the Father and the Son in the person of the Holy Spirit. I personally believe it is my conviction after many years of being a pastor and observing people, counseling people, that one of the biggest problems we have in the church today is that we have managed somehow to reduce relationship with God to a set of rules and a set of regulated practices. We have substituted, in other words, relationship with religion. Now, what is religion? Religion is practicing ritual without relationship. It is following and practicing a set of rules without having intimacy and fellowship with God. It is loving the ritual or the practice rather than loving and following the person. And it becomes heavy, it becomes legalistic, and it becomes unbearable. 
In the book of Hosea, the Lord God said in chapter 6, verse 6, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. In other words, God says, I desire mercy, I desire love, I desire relationship and fellowship with you, and not a bunch of sacrifices and religious practices that has no life uh, in them, no substance. I dare say that many in the church today are not in fellowship with God. And I'm not talking about a few. I believe many. They may pray and speak to God, but they are not in speaking terms with Him. There's a difference. Many call out to God and many pray, but they are not in speaking terms. In other words, their fellowship or their intimacy with God is somehow damaged or even broken. Now, <clears throat> I, they, you may attend services, may read your Bible once a while, you may even be in ministry, but do you share intimacy with Him? Are you in close intimacy and relationship and fellowship with the Lord? And if that is the case, then people who have no intimacy with God, they have no joy in their lives. The joy is missing. It is absent. They're no longer excited or passionate about Jesus or about their faith in the Lord Jesus. You know, you may live in His house, but you may not sit at His table. It's possible. Now, these, these, these folks, these believers... I believe they are loved by God, they valued and appreciated by the Lord, but they do not know it. And because of it, because they have not received the revelation of God's love, and the revelation that God desires to fellowship and to relate to them on a personal level, they are unable to respond to Him in a favorable manner. Now, when that is the case, you may live in constant conflict with yourself because you are doing what you should not be doing. You see, without the relationship, there is no empowerment. What empowers us to obey God and to walk in His pleasure is the relationship and the intimacy that we share with the Lord. That's where we get the grace from to enable us to do things that are not humanly possible to do. It is the relationship that enables us to walk in obedience. It is that love communication that enables us to walk in the pleasure of the Lord. And when that is missing then we are in constant conflict with ourselves because we are doing what we should not be doing or not doing what we should be doing. And as a result of this powerless struggle, we are always may feel guilty, unworthy, and many times condemned. Now, the question is, when that is the case, how does the Lord bring us back to intimacy and to fellowship with Himself? Does he, uses, does he use the law or 
does he extend his mercy and his love toward us? How does he go about, and we're going to answer this question from the Bible, how does he go about restoring our first love or restoring our love relationship with him? What does he do in that case? Well, according to scripture, according to what I see in the word of God, I believe that God restores us back to intimacy and fellowship with him through his judgments. Now, don't misunderstand me when I say judgment, because many believers do not understand the meaning of the word judgment. Many misunderstand God's judgment because they do not understand the purpose of it. God's judgments are an expression of his love and mercy, according to the word of God. When God judges a nation, when God judges a church or a family or an individual, he's extending his mercy to them because it is through his judgment that he brings us back to himself. Now, the Bible says that when God's judgments are upon the earth, the people will learn righteousness. That's written in the scripture, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 26. Read it for yourself. Chapter 26 and verse 9, Isaiah says the following under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, With my soul I have desired you in the night, Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. And then he says this, For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Now, can we prove that from the scriptures, that this is what God does? Yes, we can prove it. And I will give you many references, both from the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. We see this clearly in the story Jesus told about the prodigal son returning to his father. When the son entered into judgment, in other words, he was rejected, he was humiliated when he ran out of money, it was then in his suffering and in that judgment that he came to his senses and made the decision to return to his father. In in fact, Scripture says he came to himself. In other words, he was beside himself before. But when he had entered into suffering and into judgment, when no one gave him anything, when everybody turned his back on him, when he ran out of money and he landed in a pigsty, desiring to feed his hungry belly from the, from, from the husks that the pigs were eating, the Bible says he came to himself and he made the decision to return to his father. Notice that the father did not run after him. He blessed him. He gave him his inheritance, never tried to stop him, because the love of God will respect your freedom of choice. And so he let him go. Was was the father hurt? Of course he was hurt. Was he in pain? Of course he was in pain. But he knew that he needed to let him go in order for the son to learn some valuable lessons that he couldn't learn in his father's house. He could have, 
But because of his pride and arrogance, he couldn't learn it. He had to go out of the protection of the Father in order to come to his senses. Notice that while he was having a good time and enjoying himself, the furthest thing from his mind was to return home to his Father. You know, I went back in my mind back to 1974 when Cyprus was invaded by the Turkish army on the northern side. And after a couple of years, 75, 76, there was a great move of God that, that lasted until the year of 1990. Many, many Cypriots were born again during that time, which they are pastoring today. But the moment we hit the, the, uh, the, the, the prosperity and there was lots of money, there was prosperity all around, people have forgotten about God. And it is still the same today. They don't need God. I mean, they have everything they need. They, have, they haven't experienced suffering in a way where they can turn to God. So, you know, nothing is happening. And, and you know, this is human nature. We see the same thing in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And you can read it for yourself in Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 through to 37. After Nebuchadnezzar was judged by God for his arrogance and his pride, the Bible says he returned to God with praise and thanksgiving. Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. He became like an animal. They had to take him out into the field and tie him up. But, but his sanity returned after seven years of going through this judgment, somehow his sanity returned. Why? Because he acknowledged his arrogance and his pride. He repented toward God and he returned to him with praise and thanksgiving, acknowledging his rulership over all the earth. We also see it in the life of Jonah. Most of you, if you are a Bible student, you know, you know the story of Jonah in the book of Jonah in chapters 1 and 2. Jonah directly disobeyed God's instruction to go to the city of Nineveh and preach to that city repentance. He refused. In fact, he went the other way. As a result of his disobedience, Jonah entered into severe judgment. The Bible says that three days and three nights, Jonah was in the belly of the fish. And in the belly of that whale, Jonah cried out to God in repentance for mercy as he repented of his disobedience. What happened then? The whale uh, spit him out. He came out of, the, out of the belly of the fish and he came out a changed person. He was ready to obey God. And he went and did what he should have done in the first place. Now, we also see again the same principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13, where Paul instructs the church to execute judgment on a sexually immoral person and disassociate from him. In other words, put him out of the fellowship. The purpose of that was not to hurt him, but to bring him back to repentance. And of course, as we read, the man repented and they welcomed him back into fellowship. Let me say this. 
We need to understand how God works so that we can cooperate with him rather than resist him. When a person is being judged, we need to stay away from him. Are you listening to me? We need not to interfere with what God is doing in that person's life. Pray for that person that his heart may turn fully to God in genuine repentance and godly sorrow. Many times we pastors are spending countless of hours counseling people who are not ready to listen to God's instructions. We spend hours trying to help people that are not ready to repent. You're wasting your time. Are you listening to me? If you're a counselor, if you're trying to help somebody, if you do not discern a repentant heart or signs of godly sorrow, you're wasting your time. That person is not ready to turn around. Leave them alone. Jesus would do that. And I pray we would learn the lesson. We need not to interfere with the work of God is doing in the person's life. You may pray for that person. I'm not saying don't pray for him. Pray for that person, that family, or whatever it is, that God may turn the hearts in genuine repentance and godly sorrow. Now, when they turn, they are ready to be helped. And it is at that time that we should step in and help. When God judges an individual, all, most of the time, he isolates them from his presence, as well as from those who are able to help him. You see, the Bible says that no one gave to the prodigal son. Everybody turned his back on him. I'm sure he must have gone to the friends that he spent, <laughs> that he spent many a night with them and, 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 um, and, and, and wasting his money on them and buying things for them. And he must have gone to them and asked for some help. But the, the Bible says that no one gave him anything. They all turned their back. So w- when we're being judged, and I say judgment is an expression of God's mercy, the Lord isolates us from his presence as well as from those who can help us. Now, the person who is judged, the first thing that he experiences is loss of peace, no peace, loss of joy, and gradually sings into feelings of depression. Now, they find no cooperation from anyone, and things in their life begin to sour. It could be a crisis in the marriage. It could be a crisis in health or in finances sometimes or both. But the bottom line is that God is judging them because they refuse to judge themselves. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 30 and 32. The word of God says, if we do not judge ourselves... God will have to judge us. Are you with me so far? Can I see your hand, please, if you're listening to me? Thank you. Now, I, I, I believe, this is my personal conviction, 
that there are God's children today who are under God's judgment, yet they do not know it. Or at least they don't realize it. They think that the devil is opposing them, and so they, they pray and they try in vain to resist the devil without any success. You know, you cannot resist the Lord. No matter, you, you can rebuke him, you can, you can say all sorts of things. You can't because you're not resisting the devil. This is the work of God that is going on. Listen to what the Word of God says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Who's the house of God? We are the house of God. We are the church, the temple of the living God. And if it begins with us first, what will it be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So Peter says, the time has already come for judgment to begin with the family and with the house of God. Let me say this. Discernment needs to be exercised whenever we find ourselves in a crisis. We need to be asking ourselves the question, am I experiencing a form of God's judgment in this area? Is the Lord trying to get my attention in any way? Or is this the devil opposing and afflicting me? If it's the devil, then we've got to stand firm and resist him. But if it's God, you can't. And also, this is where your spiritual oversight can be helpful to you, where you become vulnerable and open. And ask your spiritual oversight to help you to discern together your situation and come to a conclusion. Hello. And that's why everybody needs a shepherd. If you're not, if you're not shepherding, you need to be shepherded. And every shepherd needs a shepherd. Hello. So, now, not every crisis or every trial is God's judgment. I want to make that clear. I'm not insinuating that. Some have entered into crisis and suffering as a result of obeying God and doing what is right in His sight. And we have many examples from the Bible and testimonies of people who, for the sake of obeying God, have entered into severe crisis and severe trials. We look at the prophet Daniel in the book of Daniel. He was thrown into the lion's den, not because of disobedience, but because of his obedience and his love for God. But God delivered him. The Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Amen? We see Joseph. Joseph suffered many times, betrayed by his brothers, thrown in prison for something he did not do. But Joseph was not, has not entered into that suffering because of disobedience, but because of his obedience to God and his loyalty to the Lord. So, 
Not every severe trial or suffering or judgment is a direct result of disobedience. But there are cases where believers have entered into judgment because of the rebellion and their disobedience against the Word of God. Or they rebelled against the light and the truth they received from God's Word. That is why we need to exercise biblical and spiritual discernment and ask those we walk with to discern together with us and to help us in every situation. Now, the journey back to intimacy begins with realizing and acknowledging that we are not where we should be in our relationship with God. One out of that realization, I believe, will come deep conviction with confession that is accompanied by godly sorrow. The Bible says that godly sorrow worketh repentance. This godly sorrow says, Lord, I have grieved you by allowing my heart to drift away from you. I repent and I turn from my disobedience. In other words, you, you, you judge yourself. You, 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 you don't excuse yourself for the things that you are doing or have done. You call them out by name. You, you, you put yourself under the judgment and say, yes, Lord, that's me. I've disobeyed you. I have done this. You spell it out and you judge yourself as you realize that, that, that God is dealing with you. And out of that genuine, out of that genuine sorrow, that godly sorrow, comes repentance. And of course, when genuine repentance takes place, you walk away from that disobedience. Now, if the repentance is genuine and true, this is how God responds. By outpouring, by the outpouring of His Spirit upon you, which then enables the individual or the repentant soul to draw near to God with humility and with godly fear as you begin the journey of coming back to the Lord. Now, as I said, intimacy with God is a journey which never ends until we meet Him face to face. And I believe the longer we walk with the Lord on this journey, the sweeter the Lord becomes. He becomes more precious. You become more appreciative of His presence, of His blessing and fellowship with Him. And His presence becomes more and more attractive and desirable to you. You begin to spend time with Him, time that you enjoy. And you do not do it out of duty and out of obligation, but you do it out of a sincere heart because you long for the presence of the Lord. Now, in that state of returning to the Lord, of returning to our first love, I believe that old habits and sins which oppressed us and often struggle with begin to fall off of us without any real effort from our, from our part. Because in that presence of the Lord, things happen and, and, and things fall off of us as we draw nearer and nearer to the light of His presence. The things of the world that once attracted us 
begin to lose their attraction and our priorities in life begin to change uh, as we focus our attention on the Lord and on His presence and pursue His face. The Lord then becomes the number one desire and of course the central focus of our life. Prayer becomes passionate and alive. Bible reading and meditation in the Word is no longer laborious and, 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 um, and duty, but it becomes joyous and rewarding as the revelation of the Spirit begins to flow and begins to show you things from the Word of God. Church attendance, tithing, giving uh, uh, of our substance, and witnessing to others about Christ becomes the natural response of an overflow of our love and our faith in the Lord Jesus. And I believe this is the journey that God the Father is calling us to. Back to our first love, back to intimacy with the Lord. Not empty rituals, not man-made rules or regulations, but a life of intimacy that is devoted to God and devoted to the purposes of the kingdom of God. And that's, that's what we're talking about, folks. And it is my sincere prayer for all of us in our spiritual family, those that are near, those that are far, that we will experience more and more the joys of intimacy with the Lord. The joy and out of that overflow of our love relationship with the Father, we will begin to display His patience, His kindness, His long-suffering, His faithfulness, and the character of the Lord, and become vessels of praise on the earth. And that's, that's, that's been on my heart now for, for many days, that, that this walk with God is the primary thing. Michael spoke about this morning in church. He brought us a powerful and anointed word, and I encourage you to go to the SoundCloud and download that message and listen to it. He talked about the primary thing in our life, the one thing that we need most of all, without allowing the, 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 the worries of life to distract us from that primary thing of loving God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and loving one another as Christ loved us. That is the primary thing. That is what God is, is longing for, fellowship and intimacy with His people. And the closer we walk with God, the closer we come to the light, the brighter we will shine in our everyday walk with Him. And that's, that's been in my heart, and that's what I wanted to share with you. But also the process by which the Lord brings us back into fellowship with Himself. Now the question arises, does, will everybody will, that comes into God's judgment will, will repent? I don't think so. You know, sometimes people's hearts begin to to grow harder rather than softer. And some people, when they enter that judgment, they become more bitter, more rebellious, more grumbling, more complaining. They get offended with God. They get offended with people. They become more and more isolated. 
They put up walls around them that will not allow people or God to even minister to them or come to them because they have not understood that one of the ways that God visits us is through His judgments. And when we experience the judgment of the Lord, what we are experiencing is an extension of His love and mercy that He does not want us to perish with the world. But He looks for and He longs for that heart that humbles itself in humility, judges itself, confesses that sin, and begins the journey back to the Father. And, uh, and that's what God is after. And I trust you've been blessed by, by, by what I shared. I, I, uh, I don't think I've ever spoken about the judgments of the Lord, but it is part and parcel of, of the way that God deals with us at times. And, and sometimes when we hear the judgment of God, we think of some horrible or terrible thing that happens. Not, not at all. Sometimes God's judgment is the withdrawal of the presence of the Lord. The loss of joy, the loss of peace, uh, the conflict within our hearts and ourselves. That is, that is part of God's judgment. That God is, is ringing the bell and He says, Hey, wake up, something is wrong, something isn't right. And so put it right. And, and that's what the judgment of the Lord is supposed to do. And so we need to discern, we need to to do a checkup where we are in our relationship with the Lord, when we need to become vulnerable, put those, bring those, begin to bring those walls down and, and, and allow God, as well as, as well as those whom God sends into our lives, to, uh, to minister to us. And the Bible says, He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the prophet's reward is often deliverance. Um, and, and, and I recall when the widow in Zarephath received the prophet Elijah, she received deliverance from literally dying. And so we need to recognize the, the men and the women that God sends into our lives and become vulnerable and open our hearts so that they may minister to us whatever God has for us at that particular time. So can we all pray as we, as we bring uh, this message to a close? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. And we thank you for the love of God that you express toward us. And sometimes not in the form that we want or we desire. And we really do believe that according to the scriptures, Lord, judgment is an extension of your mercy and your grace. So thank you. We pray that you would give us discernment. We pray that the, that the fear of the Lord would enter our hearts on a brand new level, Father. That we may take our relationship and intimacy with you seriously. We pray, Father, that you would enable us to resist all manner of distractions. That we would focus on that one primary thing that is so important to us, and that is relationship with you, that is fellowship with you. Teach us to walk in the light we have received and in the truths we have received as obedient children. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we thank you for it. Amen.
and amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.